Hey, this is Dave Ryder from New Spring Church here in beautiful Perth, Western Australia. Really praying that this message is going to help you. If you'd like some more information about our story, just head to newspring.org.au. Morning, everyone. Why don't we thank the worship team for wonderful worship time. Well, for those that don't know me, my name's Andrew, and I have the privilege of leading us in the Word today. So today we're going to be continuing the series titled Down the Mountain that we've been looking at the last few months. It's in the book of Matthew. Matthew organises his gospel in a way that uses many different writing techniques to group sections together. Matthew is very deliberate in the way he puts his gospel together. For example, when we went through the Sermon on the Mount last year, Dave taught us about the inclusio that are found at the start of the book of Matthew. Now, don't worry if you don't know what this term means. It's pretty much just brackets. So an inclusio tell us that a section of writing is connected together and everything within is under the same theme or topic. An example of this is at the start of the Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount, it starts with, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, and ends with, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And you can hear in these two verses that they both end with a section, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This is a writing technique called an inclusio, and Matthew uses this tool to tell us that everything that is bracketed between these two verses can really be included under the one theme, in this case, the kingdom of heaven. So you might ask, why am I reminding you about this? Well, today's passage has the end of an inclusio in it. It has an end, the end of a bracket. See if you can guess where it is as we read today's passage found in Matthew 9, verse 35. We're in 35 to 38. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest field. Did any of that part, any part of that passage sound extra familiar? Well, so, verse 35? Well, most of you, you would be forgiven if you missed it, because the start of this particular inclusio, the start of the bracket, so to speak, was way back in Matthew chapter 4, verse 23, where it says... Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. Now, these texts are so close, they're almost identical. I have them both up on the screen, side by side, so you can actually see how close they really are. In fact, if you like looking at the original Greek, I have them up in Greek. <laughs> I know most of you won't be able to actually read what it says, but hopefully you can actually see 
how close the second part of these passages are. In fact, if you put them on top of each other, they are actually identical. So what does this mean? Why would Matthew group five whole chapters of his book together in this way? Well, there's a few thoughts on this. But in order to understand this, we need to look at what is sandwiched between these two brackets. And what we see, if we can go to the next slide, when we look at the, there's two major sections. First, chapters 5 through 7 are a collection of Jesus' teachings, often called the Sermon on the Mount, which we studied last year. These chapters teach us the wisdom found in the kingdom of heaven. And chapters 8 and 9 are a collection of 9 or 10 miracles or stories, mainly about Jesus' healing ministry, which shows us the power of the kingdom of heaven. So it appears we have a five-chapter unit here designed by Matthew to present us first with some typical teachings of the Lord concerning the way of the kingdom, and second, with some typical healings and miracles to demonstrate the power of that same kingdom. And both bracket statements having this summary statement about Jesus' ministry. Teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. Now the value of seeing this as a whole is at first it warns us against treating any little piece of this section in isolation. Matthew is the writer here. He is the inspired apostle and he's putting his material together in a particular way. We need to take care in how we choose to put things together in our own understanding. This comes back to the importance that we have to always look at the context of a passage that we read in the Bible and endeavor to understand what is trying to be said through those words God has given us. In these five chapters, Matthew reveals what happens when the kingdom of heaven comes to earth. We hear the wisdom of God and then we see the power of God displayed in the man Jesus Christ. This connects both the wisdom and the power of Jesus together. We can't have one without the other. So often when we think and read about the power Jesus had, the power to heal the sick, to cast out demons, the power over the natural, physical and spiritual worlds, so often this power draws us and wouldn't you just love to have access to that power? And the good news is, Jesus tells us we can and do have access to his power. But what Matthew is doing by linking these five chapters together in an inclusio is he is showing us that in order for us to access the power Jesus displayed, we also need to listen to the wisdom Jesus teaches us. Matthew shows us that the power of God is linked with the wisdom of God. And if you want to access his power, you need to understand his wisdom. Even in the bracket statements themselves, Matthew shows us the two aspects of Jesus' ministry. Teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. That's wisdom. And healing every disease and sickness. That's power. This passage also teaches us that the kingdom of God is not a kingdom of the powerlessness but in fact is a kingdom that is full of both power and of wisdom. Yes. So Matthew shows us that if we are part of the kingdom of God, we have access to all the wisdom and all the power that is linked to that kingdom. So what are we supposed to do with this access? 
Well, after Matthew closes off this inclusio, he then turns our attention to people outside the kingdom. We read from verse 36. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest field. Now, in order to properly understand these few verses, we first need to look at the different groups that are described in them and explore who Jesus is talking about with each of them. I can see three distinct groups named here. First is the crowds, then there's the workers, and then there's the Lord of the harvest. So first, the crowds. Well, who were the crowds? Well, let's think about the context of this. Jesus has just been traveling around the country and healing the sick. So the people around him would obviously contain those hoping to get healed those lost and looking for a saviour. All those trying to figure out who he was, or even just people trying to see what everyone else was talking about. I can also imagine that the crowds around him could have also been just people going about their everyday lives in the local towns as he travelled around. Everyday people doing everyday things. Now, to put it in today's context, who are the crowds in our lives? Are there people? Are they the people we work with? Our family? Our friends? The people in need around us? The people seeking something better? What about in the context of New Spring Church? Who are the crowds around this church? Can you think of anyone that lives in our local community that Jesus would consider harassed and helpless, like a sheep without a shepherd. What about in Camilla? Or Gosnells? Armadale or Kelmscott? Now I'm sure you can all picture people in your lives that Jesus would look on and have compassion for. For those that know me well, you would know that I love walking my dog. And if you're ever around the streets of Armadale, Kelmscott, Champion Lakes, or Mount Nazura, you may have seen me walking my black lab. Yep. I try to take her on at least a 5 to 10k walk most days. Now, just the other day, I was walking in Kelmscott. And I don't know if you know this, but behind the shops, under one of the bridges, there's a bit of a tent city that's popped up there. So I did a little bit of research on and found on the Armadale Shire website that according to the 2016 census, the city was estimated to have 226 homeless people, which was an increase of 150 from the 2011. In just five years, the number of homeless in Armadale went up nearly 100. So there'll be even more today. What about these people? Do you think Jesus if Jesus was here today, would he have compassion on them? How do you think Jesus would see the homeless in Armadale and Gosnells? Now, I have to admit that when I saw that tent city, my first thought was not how Jesus would see them. But instead, it was for safety, which was a valid concern 
as I was actually walking with my whole family. And my first thought was how to avoid any trouble. But as I've contemplated this over the last few weeks, I don't think this is how Jesus would have seen them. I think he would have seen it as an opportunity. Now that doesn't mean that he would have dropped everything and gone to them right there and then. But I really do think Jesus would have seen this as an opportunity and worked out some way to bring the wisdom and the power of the kingdom of heaven into the lives of those people. As Dave has been teaching us the last couple of months, in New Spring's purpose statement, it says we dare to see places of despair as opportunities. And I have to say that tent city looked a lot like a place of despair. And there's so many other examples of places of despair around our local area. All you have to do is just go for a walk and you will see them everywhere. We are so blessed in this church because we don't have to look far to see places in need of harvest. We only need to open our eyes to the world around us. There is so many hurting and lost people that live within walking distance of us all. And as our purpose statement says, we need to dare to see them as opportunities. Just as when Jesus saw the crowds, he saw them, saw the harvest field ripe for the harvest. He didn't see hopelessness, but instead he saw what could be if only the workers would do their job. This brings us to the next group I found in the passage, which is the workers, or the laborers. Who is this group? Well, I believe it includes the disciples. You see, we read in Matthew 10, directly after the passage today, that Jesus sends out the 12, into the, 12 disciples into the field as workers. Now, you have to remember, the word disciple means a follower or a pupil. In other words, it's someone that follows Jesus. That is you. That is me. If you are a follower of Jesus, then you are a disciple. You are a worker. Each and every one of us is called to be a follower of Jesus, a pupil. And what does a pupil or a follower do? They watch and learn in order to do the same work themselves. So when we see places of despair, we need to watch and learn from how Jesus saw these places and copy him. Jesus has called you to be a part of the kingdom of heaven. And with that comes all the wisdom and power that he's talked about in the previous five chapters. But there also needs to be a willingness to do the work God has actually called you to do. Now I'm going to go off on a little bit of a tangent here and talk quickly about calling and feeling led. So often... I've heard it said in churches that I don't know what God has called me to do. Or I don't feel led to do that job. Or I'm called to do this job, so I can't help with that one. <laughs> and so on and so on. And to be honest, it kind of annoys me. <laughs> First of all, you have to understand that I've grown up in a family that has definitely been affected by God's clear call on our lives. Growing up, my parents were missionaries. So every time God called them to move country, we got up, packed up our entire lives, and moved across the globe. And even in my adult life, I felt very strongly that God was calling me to move to Perth. So I got up and moved my whole family to the other side of Australia in the middle of a global pandemic, which is not something I would suggest anyone <laughs> ever do. 
unless you feel God is calling you to. Now, with that in mind, you would have to agree that I do believe God does call people to do certain things. But what I want to talk to you about is today is so often as Christians, we use this idea of calling as an excuse to not do anything because God hasn't spoken out of the clouds and told us what he wants us to do. Now, my personality is one that loves to plan ahead. I plan everything from the small things in the day to the big life changes. It was about seven or eight years ago, I was going through a really hard time in my life. I was completely lost and I had no idea where my life was heading. During this time, I was really seeking what God wanted me to do with the rest of my life. I was crying out every night asking for a clear calling as to what he wanted me to do. And you know what? After a while, God did speak really clearly to me. But what he said wasn't what I was expecting. He didn't tell me what job to get. He didn't give me a heart for the lost people in deepest, darkest Africa. No, in short, he told me. He didn't need me to do anything. All he wanted was for me to be with him. He clearly told me that I just had to focus on what he had already told me to do, what he had already called me to be, and the rest would sort itself out. You see, I was so focused on the big things that I was going to do for God that I was neglecting the small things. I was not focusing on just being with God or just trying to live the life that he describes to us in the Sermon on the Mount. I was focusing on doing instead of being. This experience really did change the direction of my life. You see, partially because of my upbringing, but also, I think, because of the teaching I grew up in the church, I always believed that God had a plan for what he wanted me to do with my life, a plan for how I was going to serve him. But what I've been learning over the last few years is that it's not as much about what I can do for him but instead, it's about what he wants me to be. It's all about being, not doing. So I started to just focus on being the man God has called me to be rather than trying to figure out what God is calling me to do. Now saying that, I am a very slow learner. So this is something that he keeps having to remind me of and teach me almost every day. So as important as I believe calling is in someone's life. I also believe that God has already called each and every one of us by telling us how to live. At New Spring, we've been covering this. We've been studying this calling for the last few months, years in fact. It's all right there in the Sermon on the Mount. And it all starts with being poor in spirit. It all starts with understanding that we need God. He doesn't need us. But instead... He wants us, and he wants to take us on the journey with him. So this morning I have a small metaphor to help you understand this. I brought in a chunk of lead. It's just a large fishing weight, and I wanted to encourage anyone that has said no to serving because you're waiting till you feel led to do something. <laughs> 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 I want to encourage you. 
I want to encourage you to come up to me after the service and ask to feel my piece of lead. And then once you have felt lead, <laughs> I want you to go and just be the man or woman God has already told you he wants you to be. Don't worry about waiting to feel led or to do something or anything. But instead, next time, if you're asked to serve, ask yourself, will doing this help me to become closer to the man or woman that God wants me to be? And if the answer is yes, then that's your answer. Yeah, that's good. Now, this is not a ploy to fill our volunteer ranks. <laughs> <laughs> but instead, I want you all to just think about the person Jesus and how he lived his life. Think about the example he left us and get on with trying to live that way. Jesus would have been one of the first to put his hand up to serve others. He was always serving. And he, as he says in Matthew 20, 16, so the last will be the first and the first will be last. So if you want to be great in the kingdom of heaven, then you first have to be the least. You first have to serve. The gospel message turns the cultural upturns the cultural norms of the day in so many ways, turns it on its head, especially when we read passages like the first will be last and the last will be first. Or if you want to be great in the kingdom, you have to be like one of the children. It's not about the upfront stuff. It's not about recognition or being the best speaker or singer. It's about the small stuff in your life. It's about being, not doing. You don't have to wait till you hear a boom in voice from the clouds to start living as Jesus did. The voice has already spoken and it's right here. We just need to listen and actually be willing to do what it says. If you read your Bible regularly, then surely you will see there is so much in there that is calling you to live a certain way. So just start doing it. Start being the person God has called you to be. Now, there was once a farmer that planted a crop of wheat. When it came to harvest time, he had to harvest the wheat in order to earn money so that he can plant more wheat the next year. But what if, when harvest time came, he decides he was too busy to go into the harvest field? Well, let's say a new season of his favourite show has just come out on Netflix, and he decides to just put off harvest till later. What would happen? Well, the crops would wither and begin to rot. You see, full-grown crops, if not harvested, will end up rotting and have to be thrown out. The time for harvest doesn't last forever. There is a window of time to harvest. If we don't get, get there in time, it rots. When harvest time comes, we have to be ready to go into the fields. And as Jesus says, the harvest is plentiful. In our text, what Jesus means when he says the harvest is plentiful is that all around us are broken, bleeding, hurting people, ripped apart and left to die. They are ready to be reached out if only someone would go into the fields. And if you don't think they are there, then I encourage you, go for a walk around your local area. While you walk, ask God, to show you those that are lost and searching. And I reckon you will see they are everywhere.
We live in a lost world full of people that need Jesus. Even if they don't know they need Jesus, they do know they need love. So be that love to them. Let me say that again. People might not know that Jesus might not know they need Jesus, but everyone needs to be loved. Today, what this scripture text means is that out there, through those double doors, at the doorstep of our church, are crops ready to be harvested. If they are not gathered and put inside the barn, so to speak, they can wither, rot, and have to be wasted. A wasted harvest signifies people outside our church who are ready to be won over into our faith community, but where no one picks up the harvest sickle, so to speak. So this morning, if you need to feel led before you actually do anything, then I encourage you, come up, feel this piece of lead, and once you have felt led, then go and be the person that God has already told you he wants you to be. Focus on the small things. Focus on being the man or woman that he has called you to be. Focus on being poor in spirit, on mourning, on being meek, on hungering and thirsting for righteousness, on being merciful, on being pure in heart, on being peacemakers. And don't worry if you are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Because if you can work on these small things, then the big stuff will work itself out. And you will have access to all the wisdom and power of the kingdom of heaven. And then pick up your harvest sickle and go into the field that is at our very doorstep. Don't wait for the lightning bolt or the voice out of the clouds. It has already spoken. Right here in this passage, go and be the type of person that Jesus describes in the Sermon on the Mount. The rest will sort itself out. For those that weren't here last year, as a quick recap, the Sermon on the Mount starts with blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And as Dave, Brett, and the entire teaching team has told us over and over again, the Sermon on the Mount is built from this first place of being poor in spirit. So if you're wondering how to actually start to be a worker, then it all starts with being poor in spirit. If you'd like to hear more, then I encourage you to look back at the Sermon on the Mount series we did last year at New Spring. It's all there on YouTube. It's a great series, and there is so much wisdom that we can gain by exploring these chapters. Now the final character in our story this morning is the Lord of the Harvest. So who is the Lord of the Harvest? Well, he's the one leading the way, showing us how to be workers. He is our example. He is Jesus, our leader, our source of wisdom and power. Without him leading us and directing us, we would have no idea what to do. He has given us a, his example in this book, this wonderful book that demonstrates how we are supposed to be, how we are supposed to live in the kingdom of heaven. We just need to listen to it and actually do it. This passage also points to the fact that we need to always be communicating with the Lord of the harvest. We need to always be asking for him to bring along fellow workers to work in the field. This is talking about the importance of prayer. 
prayer is so important when we're doing Jesus' work. After all, if we are pupils, if we are trying to imitate Jesus, then we have to understand that all through his ministry, the one constant thing he always did was to make time to pray. It's all right there in the Bible. Verse after verse about how Jesus went into a lonely space to pray or got up early and went to pray alone. As a follower of Jesus, you should be making this a priority in your lives. As even Jesus, who in very nature was God, felt the need to spend so much time in prayer, surely we need to do the same. As I've been contemplating this passage, I've been asking myself what I can actually do. And one idea that has come up for me is that I'm pretty handy with my hands and pretty good at practically helping people. So I plan on starting a service life group. The idea of this would be if somebody's moving house, we could all get, get together and help them move house. Or if something like the Tent City comes up, we could go as a group and we could find some way to serve them. It's still just an idea, but it's an idea that works to my personal strengths. Now, if I decided instead to join the worship team and lead singing each week, then that would be a mistake. <laughs> I'm not gifted in that area. And I would probably drive people away. But I'm so thankful that we have so many people in our community that are gifted in music because even though it's not one of my strengths, I really enjoy worshipping. My point is, we can be Jesus to those around us by being a singer or by helping someone move house or by teaching or even just by being a listening ear. It's not about what we're doing for him. It's about being with him and going on the journey. It's about saying yes to anything that will help develop your relationship with him, whatever that looks like. Now, as I come in for a land in this morning, we have covered a lot from looking at how Matthew organizes his book to group five chapters together to emphasize the kingdom of God is a kingdom of wisdom and power. And in order for us to access the power that comes from the kingdom, we need to first understand and embrace the wisdom that comes from it. The wisdom that is spelled out in the Sermon on the Mount. The wisdom that starts with being poor in spirit. We've talked about how the crowds are right at our doorstep. They are the hurting, lost people around us. The people that Jesus brings into our orbit. They are ripe for the harvest if only we are willing to be the people that Jesus has already asked us to be. The people that are poor in spirit and willing to go into the harvest field and follow the Lord of the harvest example. Church, do you see the lost around you? Do you feel for them? Do you care? Then heed God's call. For until you see, you will not feel. Until you feel, you will not care. And until you care, you will not heed God's call. If you are a part of the kingdom of God, if you confess that Jesus is Lord, then you are a follower. You are a worker. You are a disciple. So listen to the Lord of the harvest. 
And remember that you have access to all the wisdom and power that being a part of the kingdom brings. And take that wisdom and power and go into the field before the harvest rots. Go and be the man or woman that God has called you to be. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, this world is full of people who are wounded, bruised, mangled, depressed and lost. As long as we close our eyes, we'll never see what Jesus saw. So I pray today, Lord, open our eyes that we may see the world through your eyes, that we may feel the plight of the poor that are around each of us through your heart. Let us dare to see those places of despair that are all around us as opportunities. Opportunities to show your love and opportunities to go into the harvest field and help us respond in love just as you did. Amen.